Hello and welcome to Future Thinking with Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. Today we're talking about soil. We don't think about it much, but it could be the key to the survival of our planet. Someone who does think about soil quite a bit is Abby Rose, Coda physicist and all-round champion of the farming community through numerous projects, including podcast Farmerama and the Our Field Project, which is a cooperative farm aiming to change the way we grow grains. Abby joins me today alongside Mandy Saban, Stylus's head of food, beverage and hospitality. Welcome to you both. So Abby, first of all, tell us a bit about Farmerama. What does your work uh, involve there? Um, hi. So Farmerama is a podcast sharing the voices of the smaller scale farming community. Um, we have been going for about five years. And really what we're looking to do is share knowledge amongst the whole food and farming system about the realities of farming, um, some of the most innovative, exciting projects that are going on out there, and also how people are moving to a more ecological-based farming system. Um, there's a huge push right now in the farming world to do that. Um, and so we cover stories on the ground, um, kind of, yeah, from the ground as well. Like, we're not necessarily focused on big names, but actually what's really happen- happening in the nitty-gritty um, in the system. Would, uh, could you specify what you mean or define what you mean by ecologically based farming? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that is a very broad term, and I think at the moment it's um, quite a broad sector. Um, but in a way, we are quite focused on what the regenerative agriculture sector. Um, and that one of the reasons regenerative agriculture is hard to define is because it's a mindset shift as opposed to necessarily a set of practices. Um, and the mindset shift really is um, about focusing or having your whole farming system be based on natural systems, um, particularly focused on building soil health on your farm. farm. Um, and then the second aspect of it is it's all about decreasing the amount of inputs you put on your farm. So your farm becomes kind of a whole system. And that differs from what we would traditionally think of as farming in what way? Well, I think the easiest way to think of, like, majority of farming today is, I would call it chemical farming. It's based on chemistry. It's based on that soil is just a substrate that we plant things in, um, and then we can add some different chemicals that will allow us to then feed that plant with those chemicals, and then they'll grow. Um, Whereas the new regenerative agriculture paradigm is that the soil is alive. Mm. And that is what we hadn't understood, or we hadn't acknowledged before. And the soil is alive and therefore you have to understand that that biology and that fungal, all those fungal systems, you know, you have to work with them if you want to have a a good farm and a resilient farm and higher yields and healthier plants, more nutritious plants. Um, So, yeah, it just, it's a complete, uh, when you start to go and look at soil um, and realize just how alive it is, it's insane. Like they say, in a teaspoon of soil, um, there's more micro or like more microorganisms than there are people on the planet. Something crazy like that. So you know, it's just so alive, <laughs> and we've completely ignored that for the last fifty years. Why have we completely ignored that, and why is it taking people like you to make this uh, issue, you know, vital? Um, I. 
is a complicated history, I would say. But um, obviously there were things like the Green Revolution occurred where people started to realize um, that if they added uh, nitrogen, artificial nitrogen to the soil, suddenly they had huge increases in yield. Um, And with anything like that, you know, if you just look at adding nitrogen, okay, yeah, you see that one benefit, but it's too reductionist in its approach. So they didn't realize the costs um, of adding that kind of chemistry to the soil. Um, And it's crazy things like all of the breeding that's been happening over the last 50 years or so, even longer really, um, has been all focused on chemical-based systems. And so what happens is then, like, for example, modern wheat plants, they hardly have any roots because they don't need to take up any nutrients from the soil. They're not interacting with the soil. Um, and therefore, you end up with plants that are literally addicted to nitrogen. Not, so it, it like, it's a self-fulfilling system where actually the, a lot of the modern wheat varieties can't survive without artificial nitrogen. So that's why we're having to do things like go to back to older varieties of wheat, which have really amazing root systems and can interact with the soil biology and draw the nutrients they need all by themselves. We don't need to give them anything. We just need to make sure that soil is healthy. So, Mandy, this is clearly, you know, a pretty revelatory thing that we're talking about here, about soil and how we've been ignoring it for so long. Um, do, you, do you think that the general public, the consumers, are going to understand and care about this? At the moment, I wish I could say that they did, but I don't, I don't think that is the case just yet. Although I think that is all set to change now. I think ultimately soil as well as air and water, will be everyone's biggest concern and how we can preserve all of these precious resources. I think the soil challenge is quite complicated. I think it's quite unrelatable to the everyday consumer life. Um, And I think what we need is a big education piece coming from governments, policymakers, brands, retailers, Um, You know, in the same way that now kids learn about ocean plastic, um, you know, from the earliest levels at school and they've become aware of it and that's impacting all of the decisions that they're making, soil needs to come into the agenda from the earliest level, from the ground up, really. (laughs) Well, quite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think, uh, Mandy, you've been doing a lot of work around um, the diet of the future and I think soil... You see that soil can play a big part in that too, right? Soil has everything to do with the diet of the future. If we don't have healthy soil, we don't have enough food to eat and we don't have the diversity of food that we need to all be healthy and be optimal in our day-to-day life. So, I mean, 95% of our food that we consume relies on soil and topsoil specifically. Um, We also need to eat more plants um, and soil is a big part of that. You actually need 30 different types of plants in your diet every week to function optimally. And these can also be spices and herbs. Um, So, you know, it's not eating sort of broccoli every day, but you do need a variety. And the only way that we're going to achieve that is by having soil that can provide all of this, you know, for us. At the moment, we only eat five proteins and 12 grains out of all the thousands of options that are available to us. So, Abby, sorry to interrupt, on that point, is the, is the sort of limited demand for a variety part of the reason why farming has 
sort of ended up becoming the, the way it is in that it's specifically focused on a certain few things that people want because that's just what the market's demanded at the moment. Yeah, I think it is a combination of market demand um, and also uh, just the whole way the farming narrative has gone. Um, so, you know, like in many areas, it, you know, um, we've been focused on specialization um, and, you know, a farm optimizing in on exactly producing exactly one thing that's all consistent because then a machine can harvest it more easily, for example. Um, and what we're starting to realize is that actually, you know, if we feed our bodies just one thing um, and it's all grown together in one place, that's an extremely vulnerable situation to leave ourselves in. Um, and you can see, like, I, I think what's exciting about soil and one of the ways I think that consumers will get more interested um, granted, I am slightly biased about soil, but <laughs> is that soil, like seeing soil as the root of health and as the of, of ourselves, of people, and as the root of the health of the planet, like that is to me an engaging narrative. And that's when, you know, you don't need to know all about soil. <clears throat> you just need to understand it as, as a key. It's like, it's what, you know, stops flooding. It's what reduces drought. Uh, it's the soil that prevents, uh, it helps clean water. You know, it just naturally, like we don't need to do it. The soil will do it for us when it's healthy. Um, sorry, I diverged way off your question. No, no, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a, soil is a many faceted <laughs> subject, isn't it? Um, I guess one of the ways that consumers may come to this subject is the idea of organic uh, food and organic food production. Uh, which is a which is a a concept which we're very familiar with now, which you've grown over the past ten twenty years to become part of the mainstream. Is this part of what we're talking about, or is soil health here a, a, a different or, or a moving on of this story? From what I understand, and Abby will probably be able to add to this, is that um, whereas organic is focusing on what's absent. You know, we don't want chemical fertilizers or pesticides involved in any kind of organic farming. Regenerative takes it one step further. So you've got practices like adaptive um, multi-paddock grazing, uh, which Abby will know all about. Um, and it's about having different types of cattle roaming freely on a piece of land and having their natural activities um, sort of feed the land and enable the biodiversity that we need. Um, in terms of the value of the word organic, I think that's quite interesting to look at as well um, because consumers are still holding a lot of stock in organic. And I think that it's seen as a sort of go-to touch point for health, wellness, sustainability. If you're buying organic, you feel like you're making that one step towards more guilt-free purchases. I mean, the U.S. organic market last year broke through the $50 billion mark for the first time, um, which is really quite something. And then in the U.K., almost £45 million a week is spent on organic products, and that's across food and beauty and personal care as well. So this is extending beyond the food conversation. Um, I mean, I think, you know, organic is probably here to stay. Do you agree, Abby? Def <coughs> yeah, def I think... I think organic is here to stay. What I think is interesting about organic is that right now today, if I go to a supermarket and I want to buy higher quality food, the only indication I have of that is organic or not, and therefore I will buy organic. 
But I think there is much more nuance to this. Um, and so I don't, shop, I don't shop in that way anymore. I shop as much as possible more directly from farmers um, because then I can have a more nuanced conversation about their soil. <laughs> um, or, you know, like, are they doing uh, adaptive multi-paddock grazing? Are they doing, um, do they, have they planted more trees on their farm? Do they leave their hedges um, a little bit more rough so that, you know, animals can live there and increasing the biodiversity on the farm? What are their, you know, do they have loads of earthworms? What I would say is that there's many farmers out there today who are starting to change away from chemical-based practices, but it's not an overnight thing. It takes years to move away from that system. Um, and so there's lots of people who are starting this journey. And I think regenerative agriculture is a journey, never ending. At some point, you probably reach the organic mark, and then you want to carry on and get better and better beyond that. Um, and so actually, I think hopefully um, we can start to bring in some more nuance into the market around people you know, who are on that journey. Because I do think we need to be acknowledging that somehow. And, you know, that's where the public goods idea comes in, payments for public goods. And can we pay the farmers or acknowledge at least that they are like cleaning water or part of cleaner air or increasing biodiversity? You know, how can we acknowledge those goods? And I think that's why, um, you know, at a supermarket level, that's the change that we need to see. Mm -hmm. That, And I think, you know, packaging and branding and labeling systems have really got to come on board with this issue. We need universal symbols that everyone can understand and encompass a whole host of issues, not only, you know, soil health and regenerative practices, um, animal welfare, which we know is the top concern for Gen Z consumers. Um, it, we want labels and um, accreditations that cover all the issues that we're worrying about and that make us feel that we can have more enlightened and educated purchases. And I think that's what's missing at the moment. I guess one of the issues with enlightened purchases, unfortunately, especially when it comes to organic food, is that it's more expensive. I mean, is this going to be uh, are the products produced by regenerative farming necessarily going to be more expensive or is it going to work differently? Um, well, the, the price question. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask. No, go for it. I mean, and so obviously I'm talking from a privileged position, but here's my view on the price question. Um, you know, we are basically potentially leaving the European Union in the UK here. Um, the farmers are no longer <laughs> no longer going to get subsidies. Um, on most farms today, 60% of their income is through subsidies. So we are going to have a pretty serious change. Um, you know, at the moment, we have a false sense of the price of food because it's completely um, hidden through government forces, essentially. Um, and that's not really fair. Um, and I think what we need to start to think about is, I don't think, yeah, I think the price of food will probably go up and it, it will cost more to produce in that way, um, mainly just because farmers are going to actually have to charge the cost it takes to actually produce the food rather than it being hidden. Now, Mandy, you've been talking a lot on Stylus about veganism and post-veganism. Um, how does how does all that fit into this conversation that we're having around soil? Um, very much so, because um, what concerns me is that the veganism hype 
that we're all being fed doesn't necessarily take the whole context um, of agriculture and the, the needs of planet Earth into account. And there are some really powerful voices and white papers that have been released recently that are encouraging us to all adopt a plant-based diet and eat no meat or very little meat. Um, and this is a big problem because with the soil being in such bad health, the best way to replenish um, this system or you know this matter is by having um, cattle and livestock that's able to roam the land. Um, I recently listened to Patrick Holden from the Sustainable Food Trust at the Royal Society of Medicine conference. And he just said some really brilliant things. And one of the quotes that stood out to me was, you can build soil fertility through cattle and bacteria. We need more livestock and grass-fed cattle to restore the carbon bank and more ruminating cattle to create healthy grass. But which farmers are going to invest in this if nobody's eating meat? So why are we all being told not to eat meat and to sort of take any kind of incentive away from farmers that are in this industry because you're trying to sort of force fit a low level of, of demand from consumers, where we, we should actually be looking at a more balanced way of eating because we need the entire ecosystem to be working in harmony for all the plants to thrive and all the insects to thrive. And we need every element of that. So I think the next wave of veganism will be post-veganism, which is a more enlightened way of looking at a vegan lifestyle. And that might be something that's a more pick-and-mix approach, and that's what we're going to be looking more at at Stylus. So we're calling it blenditarianism, where you might not be eating as much meat, or you might be making your decisions in a more thoughtful way. So you might be supporting a, far, a local farm where they've got a circular farming practices, where they're you know responsible for sort of you know every element of the farming process from an ethical an environmental point of view. And that might be more sustainable than having your avocado that's been flown in from the other side of the world that takes a massive amount of water to produce in the first instance. Yeah, a lot of the narrative behind um, veganism is, is just skewed and doesn't understand the context of the whole system. Uh, and we've seen evidence that actually, you know, it works from brands who are sort of trying this out. There's a snack brand called Epic Provisions. They're in the States and they produce meat products. And they purchased a piece of land that had been damaged by overuse um, on which to raise their grass-fed bison. And they, they sort of left them to their own devices to see if the animals could repl contribute to replenishing the land. And they did. And the land became, you know, extremely good and healthy um, and fertile. So we are seeing tentative steps by a lot of brands kind of moving in this direction um, and embracing a whole different approach to what we've seen before. And that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. So let's look outside of food. What other industries do you think really need to get on board with this issue? I think fashion um, is already on board. Um, this is an extremely relevant um, conversation for fashion as well. I had a conversation with um, Emily Gordon-Smith, who's our director of product, and she sort of, um, her concern was all around cotton, which uses 6% of the world's pesticides and 16% of the world's insecticides. And this is more than any other major crop. 
and it class makes cotton as the world's dirtiest crop. And if you think about how much of it we use and we need, that's quite scary. Um, so, you know, for her, she was saying that we really need more stamps and accreditations um, where clean organic cotton is being used um, in that industry. Um, beauty, of course, as well, I think has as much at stake here um, as food. There's a company called Seed to Skin. They're an Italian skin skincare company, and they're using only ingredients from biodiverse farms where they have roaming animals, beehives, vineyards, and forested areas to boost the ground quality. So, you know, their sort of level of responsibility is really is going to the land and to the soil and for a beauty brand to be thinking about that and using that as one of their sort of key differentiating factors. Um, I think that's really interesting. Really cool. Yeah, I think uh, I've certainly, I'm involved in some of the new fashion narratives. Um, and I was just at a conference with um, Sarah Mower and then some young designers, uh, a lady called Phoebe English, who's a young UK designer, um, and another girl called Alice Robinson, who's another UK designer. Um, and the whole conversation is about um, something that's called a fiber shed um, and how can we have um, climate beneficial clothing. So that means, you know, in the UK, that would be sourcing from the farms, the textiles that come from the farms in the UK, then going to processors in the UK that are using all natural based processes. Um, and then people, the designers would design amazing clothes, people would wear them. And then when they're finished with them, well, in wearing them, they know that those clothes have contributed to sequestering carbon and building soil health. Um, and then also the other aspect to a fiber shed clothing model is that it's soil to soil clothing so that everyone knows that those clothes came from the soil and that because nothing chemical has been added, nothing toxic has been added, they can return to the soil through composting them down. And I think that like everyone's, uh, all the designers are really excited about that. Um, and we're just launching Fiber Shed UK here um, in January. Um, so watch this space for, you know, what's going on there and this whole kind of, it is the circular economy, but it's almost beyond the circular economy because <clears throat> it's recognizing actually our direct connection to the land and that everything comes from the land and returns to the land. So, I mean, it really does affect everybody. Um, so what advice would you be giving to someone who uh, wants to support or align with this cause? What are the simplest steps to start taking? <laughs> it is a difficult question. But I do think, I actually think the, the, the biggest things to start with are, well, one, listen to Farmerama Radio. The clothes you wear, the food you eat are intimately linked to your personal health and the health of the whole planet. Um, and the more you can get that in your mind, I think, the more you start to just ask more questions um, and then become interested in different things. And particularly around personal health, you know, it just, it just hasn't been, um, I don't know, people just haven't been clued in enough to realize that it's, you can't just eat any old food um, you know, like carrots today, you have to eat 10 carrots today to have an equal nutritional value to one, one carrot pre-war. I mean, that's mental. 
Um, so you can't, you know, we really need to think about where that carrot came from. What was the farming system? And did was there any nutrition in that soil to give to the carrot? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a journey to start with and just start by realizing it's all connected back to the soil. I think the consumers can also just start by finding brands that are are making these steps, you know, and acknowledging the issue and trying to do something about it. Uh, for example, at um, Anuga, the massive food trade show in Cologne this year, we met a Dutch company called Farm Brothers, and they're producing cookies that are made with um, wheat and rye from regenerative agriculture. But what's really clever is that they are translating their message through to their packaging. So for every box of their cookies that you buy, they will donate a cookie-sized portion of land to a farmer who is practicing regenerative techniques and organic agriculture. And this little cookie size is actually printed on your pack. So you can see in a very visual, tangible way the difference that you've made by choosing to buy that product. So I think, you know, the more consumers understand about this and the more brands that they choose to support, um, you know, that will help with the whole education piece. So Mandy, are there other brands um, that are making inroads with soil awareness, especially brands that, you know, consumers are interacting with on a daily basis? Definitely. I mean, we're seeing this from a, you know, from your, your biggest brands through to independent, smaller startups. Um, for instance, General Mills has pledged <clears throat> to advance regener regenerative agriculture on one million acres of U.S. farmland by 2030. Um, and earlier this year, we had 19 global companies, including Danone, Kellogg's, and Unilever, who joined the World Business Council for Sustainability. And here they're pledging that they're going to bring more biodiversity into their supply chains and their product lines. And this is really good news for us because hopefully we'll be seeing more of their products that are influenced by this thinking and this ethos. Um, Ben and Jerry's is working with the Carbon Underground, so is Annie's Homegrown in the US. Even baby food company Gerber's Clean Field Farming has a, a, a range for toddlers um, that emphasizes good soil. Uh, we always talk about Patagonia. They've got a new organic beer produced using Kernza, which is a perennial grain used, uh, grown also used um, using regenerative agriculture. So there are a lot of brands out there, actually, um, who you, you could really choose to support on this as well. And then, of course, there are also uh, meal delivery companies and direct to, you know, consumer sort of startups. There's the Ethical Butcher in the UK, which will um, deliver you meat that has all the credentials and environmental qualities that you're looking for. Um, and there's similar ones in the States as well. So I don't think it's an easy choice in that consumers have all the information laid out for them on a plate. You do have to do a little bit of research, but then there are a really good variety of brands across many categories right now that are worth supporting. So that was a really fascinating subject to dig into. I think we uh, turned over some interesting ideas and burrowed down into some great insights. Okay, I'll stop with the soil stuff now. Uh, I'd like to thank my guests, Abby Rose and Mandy Saban. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. 
Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.